0: All right, guys, the text we're going to be working out of today is Matthew chapter four. Um, So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there just to get started, we also have on the like song lyric handout, there is an outline of where all we're going to be going today. Um, So that is a useful tool. If you're more of a visual person, that's there for you on your seat as well. So... uh, Three, a little over three years ago, my wife Taylor and I got married. Yeah, right? It's super awesome. Uh, for seven years before that, we uh, dated. So an entire seven years. So obviously leading up to our wedding, we were super excited to get to do life together and see each other more often and to like live together. Uh, but about a year into our marriage, we realized we were spending a lot of time together sitting on our couch watching TV. Um, and... We were sitting, we were in the same house, on the same couch, but we were actually spending less quality time together than we had in an entire eight years prior of relationship to each other. And so, I just want to ask a question. Have you guys ever experienced something like this in your own life, where... Some rhythm or some habit in your life was getting in the way of something that you more deeply desired, even if that rhythm or habit was not necessarily a bad thing or a harmful thing in and of itself, but it was restraining you from something you more deeply desired. For Taylor and I, watching hours of Dance Moms each night was getting in the way of our relationship with each other. So when we realized this problem, we decided we were going to take our TV and we were going to put it upstairs in our spare bedroom, which at the time acted as a storage closet. Now it's our son's bedroom. Um, And we were going to take just a month away from that that, and we rearranged the furniture in our living room to actually, like, face each other in chairs like we're sitting face to face instead of staring at a wall Um, and so that's what we did uh, in order to set new rhythms and new uh, practices in our lives so that we had the space to grow deeper in relationship with each other and this is exactly what uh, fasting and many other spiritual disciplines do for our lives so first um What is a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice if you're unfamiliar with that language? Uh, Dallas Willard defined uh, spiritual disciplines as this. He said, A discipline for the spiritual life is nothing but an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. I tend to like to think about the practices as ways that we orient our lives around union and relationship with God, a way that we create space and rhythms to actually live into our relationship with him. And there's no exact list of these uh, spiritual disciplines anywhere different people have compiled different lists and things you'll commonly find on a list of spiritual disciplines or practices would be things like prayer or scripture, silence and solitude, community, Sabbath, worship, confession, celebration, and what we're going to be talking about today specifically is the practice of fasting. Fasting is a practice of abstinence, which all abstinence means is that you are restraining yourself from indulging in something, and that could be Literally anything. Uh, so it could be TV, it could be social media, it could be alcohol, and in the case of fasting, we're abstaining from food specifically. So uh, abstinence can be practiced in the short term or the long term. So short-term abstinence, uh, you know, you would set aside 24 hours, a week, a month, a year, however long you decide to abstain from whatever it is in order to reset the disordered desires of your heart and to make space for God or whatever other relationship. Uh, You can also practice abstinence as a long-term, lifelong discipline, um, as a lifestyle choice or out of submission to God and his will. Uh, One that comes to my mind is uh, the monastic vow of celibacy, where people make this vow to abstain from sexual relations in order to have more space and time with God. Um, An act of abstinence is just a way to remove things from our lives that have gotten in the way of our relationship to God. Uh, As W.R. Eying says, it is necessary that we should steadily resolve to give up anything that comes between us and God. I think this is kind of what Matthew, or yeah, uh, what Jesus was getting at in Matthew when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Kneel water. So, There's fasting in the short-term, fasting, uh, well, fasting is a short-term practice of abstinence, where for a set period of time, we decide to abstain from food in order to create space for God in our lives. So we're going to take a look at this verse, uh, these verses in Matthew chapter four, where you guys are opened up to, we're going to look at verses one through four, and then we're going to take a deep dive into three reasons why we fast that I kind of see here in this text. So Matthew chapter four, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here we've got Jesus post his baptism and before he really jumps in and starts his ministry, the spirit drives him into the wilderness where for 40 days, he spends time in solitude and is fasting for 40 days and most certainly is spending some time in prayer. So the three kind of takeaways I want you guys or that we're going to look at from this uh, passage, uh, they're kind of outlined on that thing there, but fasting as a means of taming our flesh, Fasting as a way of hearing the Lord more clearly, and fasting as a way of feasting on the Lord. So, let's just jump right in. Number one, fasting as a way of taming our flesh. I had a much longer title for this number one that I really like, that was uh, Fasting as a Means of Self-Denial, Taming Our Flesh, and Combating the Devil. I just thought it was a little more like punk rock, you know? Um but in the New Testament, there's this idea of the flesh, uh, or in the Greek, it's sarx. Um, and sarks is just a Greek word that, like any other English word, can have a variety of meanings. Uh, it can refer to your body. It can refer to someone's ethnicity. It can refer to humanity as a whole. But in the New Testament, the authors often are using the word sarks when they speak about our flesh or the flesh. They're speaking to this corrupt, fallen nature of humanity. They're speaking to that thing within us that causes us to do something that after the fact, we just go, dang it, why? Why did I do that? And Paul has some notoriously confusing words on this exact topic. In Romans 7, he says, for I know the thing, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, in my sarks, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. So Paul here is, is just getting at that same thing I was referring to. He's saying there is this thing within my flesh, there's this thing in me, there's sin in me that causes me to do exactly what I don't want to do. Um, there are some rabbinic teachings, uh, and if you don't know what that word means, it just means like Jewish, like religious and cultural teachings, um, that actually teach that there, we don't have just one soul, but there are actually two souls within us waging war within our mind. Uh, Rabbi Zalman calls them our animal soul and our divine soul. And I can't help but think that this idea came out of reflections on the Hebrew scriptures and in particular, the early pages of the book of Genesis. In Genesis 4, we read the story of Cain and Abel. And God, before Cain goes out to murder his brother, comes to God comes to Cain and he says, sin is crouching at your door. It's a crouching lion waiting to consume you and its desire is for you. Uh, While at Walden Pond, Henry David Thoreau wrote that, we are conscious of an animal in us. It is reptile and sensual and perhaps cannot be wholly expelled. And his, his imagery there really struck me with that uh, that it is reptile. Obviously, it, it brought me back to the story of Genesis 3, where Eve is tempted by the snake. notice that tempting? Um, it, she's tempted to define good and evil for herself. She is tempted to decide what is right and what is wrong. And the snake is speaking directly to Eve's sarks, to her flesh and he does the same thing to you and me every single day. He is a crouching lion waiting to consume each one of us. He feeds lies to our flesh in order that that animal soul, if you will, hijacks our true desires for union with God in an attempt to drive us further away from him. Fasting is one way that we combat the enemy by taming our flesh through practicing an act of self-denial. So, and just to be clear, um, your flesh is not your body. They're two separate things, but they are deeply intertwined. And by taming the passions of our stomach, we begin to tame the disordered desires of our heart and set them back in place. I don't know about you, but oftentimes, I tend to have read Matthew 4, the passage that we're looking at, and thinking, you know, isn't that just like Satan? To come at Jesus when he's down, he's hungry, he's been fasting for 40 days, comes in when we're at our lowest just to kick us down to our knees. But in fact, I think the opposite is actually true here. Uh, Jesus is not at his weakest, but is at his strongest after 40 days of constant communion with God through prayer, and fasting, he's actually been preparing uh, for this moment to go toe to toe with this tempter, and in fact, reverse that Genesis 3 narrative. So through prayer and fasting, Jesus and we as well are able to hear the Lord more clearly. So that's point number two that we're gonna take a little bit of a look at. It's fasting as a way of hearing the Lord more clearly. Growing up, uh, fasting, I didn't have much relationship to it, didn't see it practiced a whole time, but when I did see it practiced to me, I was like, okay, cool, so that's a way to get God to, like, hear your prayers better, right, it, like, makes your prayer louder, it's like an extra lottery ticket that you're throwing in at this cosmic slot machine, um, that it makes your prayers more effective, or maybe it's some way to like manipulate God into being like, look at how like, much I'm hurting myself so that you do the thing that I want you to do. Um, I think that was just born out of an immature view of prayer and a lack of understanding of fasting. But a different reality has become clear to me as I've grown in my walk and as I've begun to practice some of these things this reality, this new reality that we do not fast so that God hears us better, but we fast so that we can in fact hear him better. We fast as a way of slowing down and quieting our soul and reorient our whole being, our mind, our body, and our spirit to get in deeper touch with the spirit within us Josh, over the last couple of weeks in the House of Prayer series, did an amazing job of laying out this temple theology for us. That through Jesus, we now have access to the Holy Spirit, and we are the new temple. And as the new temple, we are the residing place of the Holy Spirit, that it dwells within us, and that we have access to it if you are a follower of Jesus. And I say that, I say things like that sometimes and I'm like, that's cool. It's kind of hard to believe sometimes though, isn't it? Um, It doesn't always feel like that. It can be hard to hear the Lord or sometimes he feels distant. And I think there are many reasons for that being a reality in our lives sometimes. But And I don't have time to parse out all of those reasons, but I think there's one major if not the largest reason for that in our lives we live these busy fast-paced lives that are just go 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 we wake up and throughout the day we don't actually take time to sit and be still and pray and talk to the Lord let alone listen to him And then we reach 1030 at night and we're just tired. And I go, okay, Lord, I know I didn't spend much time with you. I'll just sit here for like a second and I'll do better tomorrow. I promise tomorrow I'm going to set some more time aside. And I know I fall into that same lie often. But fasting is a way to intentionally remove some of this noise from our lives in order to refocus on and hear God more clearly through the act of abstaining from food. So like me and Taylor, realizing there was this thing in the way of our relationship, decided to remove it for a time in order to cut through the noise that was in our lives and to clear the cu- clutter and create space by rearranging the interior of our hearts. Uh, I have a buddy. I thought you guys should know. Uh, there's this guy, a buddy of mine, whose name is Claude, and he's actually a member over at the cannery. Uh, And he is a wicked dude, Um, but he was visiting our house church one time and we were talking about fasting and he had just finished up a season of fasting himself. And he was talking to us and he was just like, you know, when I fast after a while, it's like my eyes open up. Um, And Claude is not blind. He's not walking around with his eyes closed half the time. What he's speaking to is this clearing of the spiritual fog that gets in our way as we just are so focused in on the day-to-day. I know that's the reality for myself, but his, his story reminded me of the imagery uh, in Acts where Paul encounters the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And after this encounter where he realizes his heart and God's heart were not in the same place, Paul was stricken with blindness, literal blindness, and then fasts for three days and three nights. And when he arrives in Damascus, a church leader named Ananias comes and prays over him. And immediately the scripture says something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And well, there's a lot more going on in that story and the spirit of God is doing some really cool stuff. And obviously, like I said, Paul was afflicted with literal blindness, not this like proverbial blindness. I think that imagery is beautiful, that coming off of a fast where Paul had realized he was, out of touch with the heart of God, that the, the scales, he, his eyes were then opened and he goes on to write half of our New Testament uh, and plant a bunch of churches and do a lot of great things that m- a lot of us might not be here today if he didn't. Um, so fasting is a way that we just say, God, my relationship to you is more important than food. My, our relationship, our dialogue, me listening to you is more important than food. And it's a way that we orient our entire being in prayer, which is the most important aspect of fasting. And the third kind of thing I want to speak on is that fasting is a way of feasting on the Lord. Fasting is not just simply a practice of self-denial for self-denial's sake. You know, we're not ascetics up here just trying to harm ourselves or like put ourselves in such uncomfortable positions for no reason. We fast because we hunger for something deeper than food. Our hunger for God is stronger than our desire and our appetite for a meal. And as we fast, we deny the passions of our flesh and we quiet the noise of our soul and we begin to hear the Lord more clearly and allow his spirit to grow within us. This, that aspect, the spirit growing in us, that is the bread and butter of fasting, pun intended. Um, Jesus, you know, in Matthew 4, where we were just looking, his rebuttal to the tempter is man shall not live by bread alone alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. To fast is to just soak in the Lord's presence. Dallas Willard, again, to quote him, defined fasting as feasting on the Lord and his will. So as we deny our ourselves and tame the passions of our flesh. The lies of the tempter grow quieter and the voice of the Lord is able to speak in. It's as if we're turning down one volume knob and turning up another in our life. And we're able to more clearly see Jesus and hear his voice and simply sit in his presence. We give up physical food to feast on spiritual food. And that might be weird language to some of you. I know for a long time it was for me. I was like, what do you mean by spiritual food? Is it this imaginary like Twinkie? Are you guys Brethitarians? What's going on here? Um, No, that's not it at all. So all through the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament, bread is the symbol of life and sustenance and the sufficiency of God. And uh, our buddy Cody actually did a really great lesson on that you, that you should go listen to. Um, but you know, the, this the manna of the wilderness generation in Exodus, the bread of the presence within the temple—they're these symbols of God's sufficiency of His life and of sustenance. So when Jesus says, "Not by bread alone, but by every word," what is He saying? Well, I find it kind of funny that John opens his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. The word here being Jesus. But later in John's gospel, Jesus himself says, I am the bread of life. So which is it? Is Jesus a word, or is he bread? And I think you know the answer is both. Jesus is the word by which we live. He is the bread of life. Do you see what's going on here? Um, So, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is the spiritual food upon which we feast when we fast. And again, not through some weird, like, imaginary dinner ritual where we sit at a table with empty plates and, like, act like we're eating Jesus or something, though communion, there is an aspect there. That's a little different. Um, But in prayer is where the Holy Spirit nourishes our soul. Prayer is the place in which we feast upon the presence of God. So with every Hunger-pang, our body is a physical reminder when we are fasting that drives us deeper into the presence of God. It's this consistent reminder with every hunger-pang, with every temptation, just to sit in the presence of God and let him be what sustains us and drive us to simple prayers. Um, You know, as you go on these next 30 days and as you fast, as you hit those moments, I encourage you to just stop and pray Jesus's line here of man shall not live by bread alone, or even more simply just, Lord, sustain me. um, To kind of close out this third aspect of why we fast, I'm going to leave us with a quote from Richard Foster. In the Celebration of Disciplines, Richard Foster says this about fasting. He says, outwardly, you will be performing the regular duties of your day, But inwardly, you will be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and in a new way, cause every task of the day to be a sacred ministry to the Lord. However mundane your duties for you, they are a blessed sacrament. So I've talked a lot about the why of why we do this based on some things that we see out of Matthew chapter 4. But... What does this mean, practically speaking? Um, there are all sorts of different ways to fast. Um, and we have, again, to plug ethoschurch.org awaken, there are tons of resources there from our own staff as well as from other great thinkers and content producers um, globally and nationally and throughout history. Um, But throughout history, historically speaking, in the church, prayer was often practiced, even in Jesus's day, prayer was fact, fasting was practiced, wow, words are good. Um, Fasting was practiced typically as a 24-hour practice of abstaining from food. We see in the Old Testament the Day of Atonement being a day where the entire community of Israel comes together and fasts and prays and confession. Uh, The writing of the Didache, which is one of the oldest church documents that, depending on who you ask, dates back to the second or maybe even the first century, has the whole of the Christian church fasting Two days a week and over the next 30 days we, I just invite you to think about a way that you might fast and not saying that you need to set aside 24 hours maybe for you it's you set aside one meal a day to just take 10 minutes to go sit in prayer with the Lord instead or maybe um, it's just a snack that's for you and the Lord to decide. But I know this this practice of fasting can be a bit intimidating. Um, and I will do give another plug here to, Josh actually did some really great podcast content leading into the season of Awaken. And if you've not already listened to those, I highly encourage it, especially if you are new to fasting or wary of it or anything like that. But in the first episode, Dave Clayton makes a really great point of when you're choosing your fast to choose consistency over intensity. Oftentimes we can bite off more than we can chew. Um, Yeah, there's another pun for you. Um, But that's not the point. And the point is not to make a show or to push yourself physically really hard. The point is to, over the next 30 days, reorient rhythms and practices in your lives to spend in the presence of God more deeply over the next 30 days so if you're new to this or scared and you but you want to try start small maybe it is Dave suggests you know skip your mid-afternoon snack and spend five minutes in prayer maybe it's even smaller than that maybe it's simply skipping pre-church coffee and a bagel and coming to the 9 a.m prayer and just Sitting here with us in the presence of God for that time, just once a week for the next four weeks, skipping coffee, um, so that there are there 's a number of different ways that we can choose to go about this and, and prayerfully, and i 'll get to some more of that here in a minute, but before I end. I wanna recognize that this practice of fasting is not possible for everyone, whether it is because of complicated relationships with food or nursing or pregnant mothers or people who have a health history that don't allow them to abstain from food in this way. And I just, one, wanted to recognize that and honor that and say a couple of things that one, Please do not feel, if you find yourself in that place, any guilt or shame around that, or like other people are more spiritual than you because they're going into this practice. The church should be a place of freedom and healing, and you will receive no judgment from anyone on the pastoral team here at Ethos, or on staff, or any of the members here in this church. This is a place for people to love on each other and find healing and there is freedom in relationship with Jesus. And two, if you find yourself unable to abstain from food for whatever reason, just an invitation to abstinence in some other form, you can still, through other forms of abstinence, like we talked about, remove that noise and that hurry and that clutter and create space for what you more deeply hunger for. So... Final note on the home stretch here fasting is a practice. All of the practices are a practice. Prayer, scripture, all of them. They're not a formula, they're not a transaction. It's not a I do this, God, and you give me this. That's actually closer to paganism and how that whole system operated. It's in order, all of the spiritual practices are to allow space for intimacy and growth with God, fasting included. And sometimes, you know, if you do decide to step forward with us on this 30-day season of prayer and fasting, sometimes you will feel this deep intimacy with God and this closeness and this richness, and some days it will probably be really rich. And some days you might just be kind of hangry and over it and not really wanting to continue on. And I just want to speak and say, that's okay. That's completely normal because this is relational, not transactional. So you know to take it back to my my wife and I and our relationship to TV we removed the TV and it was great we actually enjoyed it so much we still don't have a TV in our house we got rid of it not that we don't watch TV we've got laptops and things but we created space for what we more deeply desired in our lives and some nights are great, they're mountaintop nights where we sit and have dinner and have rich, deep conversations with one another. Other nights are more normal and we're just like taking care of Marlowe and folding laundry. And other nights we fall into a temptation of just sitting on the couch and watching TikTok on our phones and that's almost worse than watching TV. (laughs) But my point is we've made space in our lives, for what we actually truly long for in our relationship with each other. And that's all that fasting and the other spiritual practices are, is a way to create space to grow in intimacy with God. So I would encourage you in fasting and prayer, be faithful and be consistent because over time it will pay dividends in your life. The day-to-day might not seem like there's much change or growth in your life, but if you are faithful and consistent in these things, you will look back on your life six months, one year, two years back, and be amazed at the transformational work of the spirit in your life. Again, it is the spirit that does this work. We, our job is simply to create space and the spirit comes in and is who transforms our hearts and minds. So we're gonna go to communion and I've got just a few reflection questions for you guys um, to either, if you would like to circle up with people around you and you're comfortable with that, that would be awesome, but there's no pressure with these because some of these might feel a a little more personal to you guys. And so it might just be a space for you to sit with the Lord with some of these reflections, but I've got three reflection questions for you as we go to communion. Question number one, are there currently any habits in your life that might be hindering your intimacy with God? Two, what feelings come up in you around the topic of fasting? And just an invitation to process those with the Lord. You don't have to process that with anyone here today. Just sit with that with the Lord and process that. And three, is the Lord calling you into any particular kind of fast? or practice of abstinence. And just, if you're unsure of that, just take some time to pray and reflect um, on that. So with that, you guys are welcome to uh, get up and come and grab communion. We've got it on tables in the corners of the room here. Is there a table in the back? Sweet, yeah. So go ahead and stand up, grab communion, bring it back, reflect on those questions in a group or on your own.